Alright, here we go. Today is Monday, March 19th, 2018, and this is episode 213 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. You woke me up from my nap for this. Well, you know, I'm I'm having to, to, uh, to TiVo Matlock, so we're all, we're all making sacrifices here. Alright, well, how are you, sir? I'm well, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, it's been an eventful day in the infosec world. It has, yes, it has. I, with the whole Facebook CISO. Yeah, that was big news. And and then, I mean, by the time this publishes, it'll probably be old news. But then, uh, so so the report was that uh, Alex Stamos was leaving Facebook over disagreements on how they were handling election interference but then alex came out and said no that's not true i'm still fully engaged at facebook doing different things so now i don't know what to believe oh man you mean i may have to retract my tire fire gif on twitter oh i i think hmm. i don't know that's a good question (laughs) anyway uh so so uh before we get into our fake news for the week uh, just a reminder that our uh, our comments and thoughts and opinions are ours and do not represent those of our employers. And and also a a a big thank you to our Patreon donors. Thank you very much. Absolutely, you guys are awesome. And if for some weird twisted reason you want to join them, uh, feel free. We, Absolutely, we appreciate every one of you. That's right. That's right. So. Um, yeah, so uh, anyway, getting into our news. I, th- this first story is a a brief follow-up from something we talked about last week, which was that the SEC had released some guidelines related to insider trading and, and security breaches. So I don't know if that <laughs> was a harbinger of things to come or what, but uh, now the news here from The Guardian uh, the title is former Equifax executive charged with insider trading after data breach, and uh, this was you know, the first time I'm aware of that a CIO of a company was was you know charged criminally for this sort of thing. So, um, so the allegation here is that he knew about the breach before it was public and sold shares before it went public. Correct. And the SEC is alleging that that's inside information, and he traded with the assumption the stock was going to go down in price, and that's not allowed. That's a big no-no. Correct. Correct. And and um, apparently they've already done discovery, too, because there's some things referenced in this article that seem pretty damning. <laughs> Obviously, he's not been convicted, so it's all, you know, it's all alleged and, and whatnot, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, according to the article here, there there was apparently an email sent about uh, kind of characterizing the breach as an opportunity. Uh, I, I assume that means trading opportunity. And then, uh, and and then apparently on the CIO's work computer, conveniently, he apparently searched for uh, terms that would lead one to believe he was trying to figure out if it was a good idea to sell stock. So he was 
for instance, apparently searching for uh, information related to the previous Experian data breach and, and trying to figure out what happened to their stock after uh, their breach. So not <laughs> not the sharpest tool in the shed, if, if true, right? This is kind of like when the spouse goes missing and they check the wife's, you know, browser history and she was searching for terms like how to dispose of a body. <laughs> yes. It doesn't, exactly. doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Doesn't mean he did it, right? But doesn't <laughs> right. look good. Uh, so anyway, um, obviously, in, you know, th- I think it it really points to the fact that we have to we have to have you know very high ethic ethical standards in our industry, and uh, you know the the I would say the the law enforcement community is starting to catch up with you know with with some of this shenanigans that may have been going on in the past so it's you know it's pretty clear we gotta well i think the safest thing here is like we were talking about earlier set up an automated uh trading methodology that sells on a regular basis regardless of what's going on and then you can claim ignorance yeah you know i i have to say now it's a lot it's a lot of money no i mean i'm not it it was not not to say that a million dollars isn't a ton of money right but you know (laughs) i I'm not sure um, the amount of money that he made or he 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 profited was worth what is probably about to happen to him. I mean, he 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 ended up apparently netting about a hundred seventeen thousand dollars more than he would have otherwise. If he, so, if he would have waited until after the breach was made public, he would have made about a hundred seventeen thousand dollars less. Which is, you know, hey, it's a lot of money, right? But you know, but hi, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Hinds, yes, that's right. Right, and uh, in general, the SEC doesn't back down on these things. So no, I'm, oh, I'm assuming he'll be he'll be giving up a lot of those trading profits uh, and more. I would think. I would think so. Anyway, uh, moving on to our next story it comes from Gizmodo. Title is U.S. Power Company fined $2.7 million over security flaws impacting critical assets. Now, when I first started reading this, I was I was getting ready for, you know, I was like strapping myself in, getting my get my, my my APT helmet on, you know, getting getting ready for a you know for a really good good story. And wait, question: What exactly were you strapping yourself into? Well, Do you have like some weird, no, no, weird no, no, no. fetish chair that you read these stories my, in? It's my APT chair. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm I, I'm I'm going to be putting some pictures together. I think <laughs> mocking up my 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 view of your APT chair. Okay. Carry on. All right. So uh, yeah, anyway, um, as, as it turns out, apparently uh, Chris Vickery, our, uh, our 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 favorite, you know, I, apparently <laughs> we. We've talked about this in the past, but holy cow, talk about somebody that can make a career out of just snooping around Amazon looking for un, unsecured S3 buckets. And, Seriously. Uh, anyway, uh, so so Chris Vickery apparently found, uh, I guess this was back in 2016 um, when he was with the, his previous employer, he found, now allegedly, right, there's... there's the the actual company hasn't been named by the regulators here, but um, you know it seems pretty pretty clear uh, that that it was likely Pacific Gas and uh, and Electric. They had posted information. I, I guess it was a database. Not really clear what form it was in, 
Uh, but it was sitting out in a, in a unprotected S3 bucket and contained a ton of information about their internal IT systems, 47,000 details over, of over 47,000 PG&E computers, virtual machines, servers, other devices. Um, apparently, according to the, uh, the regulators report, it, it also included things like usernames and hashed passwords, too. So, uh, so apparently, the th this is also something that I've not seen in the past, at least uh, in action like this. The the um, uh, the regulators, the power regulators here in the U.S. I assume that's like uh, NERC, find this company, which is apparently, but not certain to be, Pacific Gas and Electric, two point seven million dollars. Right. So that's that's kind of real that's money. That's pretty healthy. That's yeah, real that's money for healthy. for not clicking the the right checkbox in your amazon control <laughs> panel well this is why i said everybody should set up every infosec organization should set up a unsecured s3 bucket at company.com email address and just monitor it because inevitably somebody yes. in the organization is gonna start up some shadow it dump a bunch of data out there that they don't want <laughs> it seems to be the way things go we don't the bad guys don't even need to come break into our companies anymore. They just need to wait until somebody in our organization leaks something inadvertently uh, silly to uh, an S3 bucket that isn't properly secured. Uh, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> now, I, to, to, we talked about this in the past, but I think to Amazon's credit, they're I think they're starting to try try to take steps to make it more difficult yeah. for people to shoot themselves in the foot. But um, it's 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 to be clear, it's not Amazon's fault, but they're catching the bad press for it. So oh yeah. They're yeah. they're fi they're trying to fix it. But the point and, point of the story is it's you know that <laughs> this this stuff can have real consequences. And oh oh and and um, a great a great point at the bottom of this article was that uh, apparently um, PG and I PG and E's IT department uh, when, when Vickery contacted them initially they tried to claim that the data was fake. <laughs> Was and, was a uh, fake data, and then and retracted. Then, and then they retracted it. Yeah, so it became unfake. Yeah. So um, all I can say is don't don't do that. You know. Yeah. Be real sure. Own it, because you know you could have us talking about you on on, on our show. Fortunately, ne neither of us use PG&E, so they won't be turning off our power. That's also true. Hopefully, we never move to the north northwest. Well, I think that's out of the cards now. Good yeah. job, Jerry. Good point. All right, moving on to our next story comes from CSO Online. Title is, Are Your Employees Unwittingly Invalidating Your Cyber Liability Insurance? This is a fascinating concept that I can see getting far more interesting as insurance companies start going, you know, you've invalidated your contract, so we're not going to pay out because, well, the story will get into that, but uh, yeah, this will be interesting. Yeah, so the, I mean, the, the whole, I, I'll, I'll kind of get to the, to the punchline up front, and then we'll talk about some of the details. But, you know, basically the, the point of the article is that most all insurance policies, you know, your, your car insurance, your homeowner's insurance, you know, wh whatever insurance you're, you're considering has certain you know s certain requirements in there and certain 
limitations. And so, you know, if you, um, if you burn your house down intentionally, well, your insurance company is probably not going to pay you. And you know, in some cases, if you leave your car unlocked and things get stolen out of it, they may not cover the contents that were stolen and and so on and so forth. And so the point here is that you really, when you purchase as, a, as an organization, when you purchase cybersecurity insurance, you really need to clearly understand the those kinds of limitations and, and restrictions that are set out in the policy and then embed those, you know, those, those concepts into your management system. (laughs) So for your, I don't know, 300 people in your IT department, you know, your 70 people in your security department are going to have to know this stuff. So what you're going to have to build is another compliance department that oversees (laughs) those departments to make sure that you're not invalidating your insurance. Yes, that's right. Another audit, another audit team. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to get crazy. Cyber insurance audit team. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, the, the article kind of points or pokes at different, um, you know, different things that may cause problems. So, for instance, your, you know, your insurance policy may cover data breaches, but those, those data breaches may only uh, be covered if they're on infrastructure that you own in your, you know, inside your data center. And if some enterprising, uh, you know, employee decides they're going to, you know, move their data to an unsecured S3 bucket, you know, that, that may not actually be covered because it's, you know, A in the cloud and B was a, you know, kind of a a gross oversight. Now um, I'm, you know, I, I have to say I've seen a lot of, companies being compensated by their insurance providers lately that's kind of made me scratch my head and say man that you know it doesn't really seem like the insurance company i mean they, they seem like they just rolled over pretty easily and and paid out rather than uh, you know trying to object so, but i don't know that that necessarily what's in the terms of those agreements well is this perhaps just a reflection of the relative youngness of that industry yeah, po- possibly or, so. Possibly or so. that company that holds the cyber insurance also holds a billion dollars in other insurance liabilities with that customer and they didn't want to piss them off. Well, that that's also very possible too, yeah. Not that that ever happens, ever. <laughs> ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I will say one thing that was a little... The, the, the person that wrote this article really didn't have uh it doesn't have doesn't seem to have a lot of experience in larger companies because they they talk a lot about um you know communicating to the CISO when whenever you are collecting data in you know different types of data like uh, personal data such as names addresses financial information you know you should communicate that to the C to the CISO and um you know if you're going to implement some automating or, or, sorry, automation or uh, digitization of that information, you should notify your CISO. And, you know, that probably works in a couple hundred person company, but um, I don't think that advice really scales. I I think more likely uh, in in larger organizations, you you really need to have that, those sorts of things embodied in policy. I mean, uh, for better or for worse, I mean, we, we 
in security have the endless debate about you know compliance versus security and and policies kind of seen as a as an extension of of uh, of compliance but i'm here to tell you security doesn't scale very well <laughs> no and, and then it becomes a question of okay let's say you codified that in policy and one of your folks still made a mistake does that hurt or help your case for getting a payout well um I mean, again, it depends on the uh, on the details of your of your agreement. You know, man, it, you're such a lawyer. Was is it accidental or was it intentional? Was it an oversight? Was it you know? Did you did you know? The, I I I think these are these are the kinds of questions that you really need to ponder with, you know, with a with a lawyer uh, looking at the either your actual agreement or your prospective agreement for insurance. But you know, point is, you you really need to. Again, you really need to, if you're, especially if you're going to rely on insurance to to make you whole in the in the aftermath of some kind of a a breach, you really need to understand the limitation or the limiting factors that would cause them not to pay. You know, they they mentioned in the article here, for instance, that some insurance policies um, require you to notify the carrier before you pay a ransom. Uh, you know, in right. in order for the insurance company to reimburse you for the ransom, and you know, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, of some of the the healthcare policies here in the U.S. where you have to call, uh, you know, before your before the um, the insurance the health insurance company will pay for your emergency room visit, you have to call to get pre authorization. You know, like, yeah, my my leg is on the floor, disconnected from my body. Can I go? <laughs> can I go to the hospital? It's a flesh wound. <laughs> um, so rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in a uh, your legs off. I got two legs. You don't need you know, got a spare, <laughs> right? What did you do? Bleed on me? Sorry. Come on. Yes, yes. Um, I did find it interesting that that the author wrapped in not pet you into the discussion about ransomware payments, but um, look, man, keyword searches matter. Yeah, that's true. You know, if you were a journalist, you would understand these things. Yep, yep. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I, I definitely can see yet another layer of bureaucracy being added into <coughs> your, excuse me, your process controls to make sure you're not violating your your cyber insurance policy. And uh, how much fun will that be for us? Yeah, you know, and the, I I have to say, I, it's it's a little unclear to me where what the future holds here because th- there are some people who really seriously hold the per- the view that in the in in the medium term insurance companies are really going to be dictating how security works in companies you know? i i can somewhat buy into that if, if it all depends on how the negotiations go and how many payouts they have they're, they're going to try to limit their risk you know mm-hmm. so I could certainly see them starting to push down that path. So in, in the in the article, the author mentions that you know you can contact the insurance company for recommendations about security yeah. products. Yeah, I've got I've, I've got it here. Okay. Yeah, CISOs quote from the article: CISOs should work alongside their insurer to find out which products they recommend, as they have a wealth of cybersecurity expertise, and businesses that implement recommended solution may well benefit from policy cost reductions. Yeah, a- aka uh, joint marketing opportunities between security companies and insurance companies. Oh, yay! 
Yay. I um, really, really struggle with the concept that my insurance company has a wealth of cybersecurity expertise and is best equipped to advise me. Well, I, I, I think there's an opportunity. I, I mean, a, 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 maybe a somewhat perverse opportunity for security companies to cozy up to insurance providers and, and do like joint marketing things, you know, where, hey, uh, you know, I, uh, Liberty Mutual says, you know, if you buy carbon black, you get 5%. I mean, cl- clearly a contrived made up example, but, um, you know, you can kind of see that thing, that sort of thing happening. Um, and, and you know, wh- is that the best thing for the company? I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, the along in i think in that same quote the the next part was in in reference to a you know centralized monitoring system that uh it it sounded like a you know something that probably doesn't actually exist yet but to me the 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 concept was and i don't know if you have the the quote right in front of you but basically you know that conceivably you could you could install some sort of a compliance monitoring tool yeah quote for instance using a platform that provides a single point of access to all possible threats could be linked to the insurance policy as a tech add-on to ensure compliance yeah so so i mean i i have a problem with the concept of all possible threats but you know if we get if we just get off of that for a second it 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 reminds me of in in the u.s here we have uh, so some of our insurance companies have this little get. The uh, car insurance companies have this little gadget that you can plug into your ODBT, ODB two port on your car, and it'll it'll monitor your driving, and you can conceivably, I guess, get discounts if they don't see erratic driving. I don't know the extent to which they they monitor that, but and, and what they actually monitor. But similar concept, like if you can prove that you're uh, you're, if you can demonstrate that you're having good, uh, you know, good good ci- cyber hygiene, then you know maybe you should get a discount on your on your your premiums. Um, and I and I know for a fact that, uh, and I don't know if this is still going on or not, but uh, for a long time, some of the um, the companies like Bitsite and their their brethren were uh, were really targeting the insurance companies as a uh, as a means for vetting the the again the cyber hygiene of their uh, their insured customers. Would you like a ten percent discount on your cyber security policy? Please link your SIM to our centralized collection node. There you go. There you go. Would uh, you like an extra five percent? Send your AV alerts to us too. <laughs> oh, that seems perilous. I, it's coming. It's inevitable. Yeah. I hope you're wrong. Anyway, <laughs> you're probably right. So, so moving on. Um, next story comes from the New York Times, and the title is, A cyber attack in Saudi Arabia had a deadly goal. Experts fear another try. And I think we actually talked about this story a little bit um, last year sometime. This was uh, this this was an attack on a company. Uh, what was their name? Forget the name. The, the name. It's a it's a really long name with a uh, with an odd acronym. But anyway, it's a it's a it's a 
a chemical company in Saudi Ar- Saudi Arabia that was the victim of a, an attack last year. And at the time, uh, the the attack stopped apparently stopped their production, and and it was a, an attack not on the actual industrial control system, as it was an attack on a separate system, a separate safety control system that is, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like an automated emergency stop uh, capability was really thought to be a, um, you know, a, 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 an intrinsically safe is not the right term, right? But, a, you know, but a, but a, a reliable safety net uh, to prevent bad things from happening. And, and anyway, uh, they, at the time that this was reported, they knew that the attack was against that safety uh, that, that safety equipment made by Schneider Electric. But what they didn't realize until, or at least what's not been made public until now, is that apparently the, the intent of the attack was to cripple that safety equipment in a way that would cause an explosion or should have caused an explosion uh, if it ha- allegedly had not been for a defect in the malware that was used. So... You know, and, and if that had happened, by the way, I think that would have been one of the first, at least that I'm aware of, the first known known instances of a, a you know, I guess presumably there would have been casualties, right? But a, you know, fatality resulting from a, a cyber attack like that. Yeah. So really, what we're what we're finding out here is that power companies and SCADA systems are the original Internet of Things. That's true. That that everybody's so afraid of. That is very true. Yeah. It's it's interesting and worrying that these sort of things are that reachable. But then we don't know, right? Was this somebody dropped a USB stick in the parking lot that got the initial attack? And, you know, we don't know. But, yeah, so they, uh, they, they, dis, they do interestingly distinguish this from, uh, and, and it's, you have to read between the lines, but they do distinguish it be, between or from the, um, uh, Stuxnet attack, right? Because they say this did not have a insider component to it, which tells me that, I mean, w- when I read that, that told me that it wasn't the result of somebody plugging in a USB drive that they found right. in the parking lot. <clears throat> it probably was the result of, like, you know, either a, 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 a you know, network-based attack or somebody clicked on, you know, some funny cat video. <laughs> from from the the system that is used to secure the, the the company, but you know what what's um I think what's what's a little scary is is we are designing these systems, you know they they you know, they characterize this the safety system as you know believed to be a lock and key operation. Otherwise, you know it, what they're trying to say there is that these safety controllers really have to be you know physically interacted with in order to uh, to change their operation but apparently that's actually not true and so it's not clear to me if they exploited if, if the attack exploited some kind of unknown vulnerability in this controller and therefore bypassed that perceived you know lock and key uh, functionality but the you know par- apparently the, the 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 attack manifested itself as a uh, what appeared to be a component from Schneider Electric on the, the the workstation used to manage 
uh, this environment. So, uh, you know, it was obviously pretty, pretty deliberate, you know, that the article goes on to, you know, pretty late, pretty clearly lay claim to uh, some kind of a nation state actor, which, you know, in this case, you know, probably is true. I mean, but th there's no, no clear attribution on, on who it was. Uh, but, you know, I, I think um, the the reason that I, I wanted to, to really talk about this is that not that you know, most of us are going to have to worry about this sort of thing, but that as time goes on, right, this is an odd kind of attack. But if we were to fast forward five or ten years, right, how odd will this actually be? And given the way, you know, given the speed at which technology changes in a corporate environment, i.e. not very fast, right, we should be thinking about this now if we want to stave off attacks that are going to be common in 10 years. That's my yeah. point. And the tough part is most of this stuff is built and not very changeable. I completely agree. It, this this feels like we're inching closer and closer to some sort of life-ending catastrophic event with a hack. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, we lose the whole eastern seaboard. I'm saying, you know, some explosion in a plant kills 20 people kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, it, it feels like it's inevitable at this point. Yep. yep. Which but, is very unfortunate, uh, obviously. Yeah, but but fear not. But fear not, because our last story for tonight is that the the Center for Internet Security released version 7 of the top 20 critical cybersecurity controls. So I, 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 I've been waiting for this. I, in fact, I... I sit up at night wondering when they're going to release the next update. Well, well, I didn't because they've been spamming me every day for like the past three months. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, this is a good make sure you're hitting the common basics kind of guide, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, kind of like the OS top 10 for web apps and cis critical controls if if you're nailing this stuff you're probably in decent shape yeah this, I, I actually i i mean i all kidding aside i i think very very highly of the the top 20 i think it's um it's a great it's a great list um they they did change some things this year they for instance they downgraded uh secure configurations for hardware and software that was number three they they moved that down to number five and then they they made some uh, kind of tactical changes to the to the organization some of the controls so for instance like with whitelisting they uh, the in the in the version six whitelisting was just one kind of one large control they broke it up into three or four separate controls in um in version seven, things like you know whitelisting applications, whitelisting libraries, whitelisting scripts, um, and so there's you know that uh, I would say a lot of it's the same, but some of it's um, you know, I think some of it's new. It's intended to be a little more consumable, aligned with kind of current technologies. I you know I it, it just came out today, so I haven't spent a, an incredible amount of time with it. But one of the things that struck me is, and, and again I don't know if if I just haven't got there yet, but they don't seem to do a lot yet with 
um, you know, with cloud and automation type systems, we talked last time about um, you know the importance of of protecting you know your your IT automation systems, and that I didn't see a lot of uh, a lot of focus on that in in this one. That was a little a little surprising. Yeah, they they mentioned it a few times, but not in specific takeaways. So th th you'll see references to cloud systems and some of the other controls, but nothing that is uh, oriented towards the cloud itself, which I think may be a miss because I really do think we as an industry specifically need to start pivoting to learning how to properly configure our cloud environments for built-in granular security. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, there needs to be like Control number 21, secure your damn S3 buckets. So so there you go, CIS. <laughs> Top 21. <laughs> and to be fair, as I was educated upon recently, the S3 bus buckets that we keep stumbling, not we, but the industry keeps stumbling across are not completely open to the public, but they're open to anyone with any S3 account. Correct. So you can register for an S S3 account, which is free, by the way. Right. Uh, and then, and then you have you potentially have access. So, that's true. So, um, um, did you have more you want to say on that? I had one other thing I want to kind of mention, but I didn't want to get you off that too quick. No, no. I, um, I, I guess the only other thing I'll I'll say is, uh, along with the update this this time, they actually also released a metrics document, which was which is pretty cool. So they they, um, for each of the controls, and, and it's a for most people who have not who are not familiar with the top twenty, there's not actually twenty, <laughs> right? There Indeed. are something in on the order of about a hundred and seventy controls, uh, and but they're grouped into twenty different domains. And in version seven, they actually produce a spreadsheet that has a metric, so like a um, a, a question, a metrics question associated with each of the 170 or roughly 170 controls that you can use to judge your, uh, you know, if, if you were going to use the, the top 20 controls, you can use those as part of your metrics program and they give you kind of, you know, some, some Sigma-based, uh, you know, compliance parameters, which seemed a little, a little odd to me, but good, you know, it seemed seem pretty good the other i guess the other big change is they are um they're aligning the controls now with a couple of different frameworks that you know for instance the all of the controls now map to the cybersecurity the the NIST NIST if sorry everyone don't email me the NIST cybersecurity framework uh, email him email him <laughs> they 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 have uh they have the 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 security function listed there, and there's a couple of other mappings they have to PCI and um, uh, FISMA. So, you know, good stuff. Give it a look. So that's it. Cool. Um, the other thing I want to mention was there's some brewing controversy between Facebook and this third-party data analytics company. Was that the uh, Ca what Cambridge Analytics? Is that right? It is indeed. Yeah. An Analytica. Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge That's right. Analytica and Facebook. So 
I'm hesitant to say too much about it because it's early in uh, the scenario and usually first reports are wrong. But what's really interesting about this one is the big debate going on about whether or not this is a data breach. So there's 50 million, for lack of a better term, records that uh, Cambridge Analytica got access to. Uh, and now there's this big debate going on. Is this, but they, is this but, a breach? But they, they, as far as I understand it, they were authorized to have those, but they, yeah, were they then but they were supposed to delete them later, right? Right. So from what we understand at this point, and take this with a grain of salt, is they harvested the data from Facebook, um, for lack of a better term, with permission, uh, and then potentially have misused it or done more with it than they should have. And there's this big debate going on whether or not this was a breach or not, or whether or not this was a, an abuse of of trust and permission. So it's, it's at the end of the day, you're already seeing a ton of attorney generals and U.S. Congress and others jumping in. This is an interesting one because when we start really consolidating user records and information into a couple of centralized locations, our risk goes up for misuse and, and malfeasance in this sort of situation. Um, but of course, the network effect, uh, not, not to get too buzzwordy, it also goes up in terms of the more people using a centralized platform, in theory, the more use it is to any one individual. Uh, and you know, so, so we have these two competing needs. At the same time now, the InfoSec industry is trying to figure out how to categorize this sort of incident. And I don't think we know yet. So it's been kind of interesting watching this go on. And, and you know, pair us with the, with the news that potentially, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the uh, CSO, Alex Stamos, may or may not be leaving. He's denying it. Facebook is denying it. New York Times has said he was leaving. Who knows what to believe at this point? Um, it's probably a rough couple of days for the Evosec team at Facebook. <laughs> and shout out to them. I, I would, I would think so. I mean, I, yeah, shout out to them for sure. I mean, they that's got to be a a, a, a tough, a tough job. I mean, they they are the lightning rod of the internet. I've got to imagine. Um, and you know, I I, w I will say just to to get a little, um, you know, some pontification, right? That my understanding is that that Cambridge Analytics or Analytica was. Uh, they, they, you know, they were trying to to pair. You know, one of the controversial things is they were trying to pair some data about people who had answered a survey with data of the contacts who uh, that were you know associated with the person that answered the question, right? To try to infer things about those other people. So for instance, if let's say, you know, I identify as a as a democrat, right? And and I answer the survey, right? But you haven't answered the survey and so they're going to they're going to see the linkage between you and I and make an assertion that oh well, he's probably a democrat. As an ex I mean that um, that's a cra crazy uh hypothetical, right? Mhm. Mm uh but you know, that's just, that's effectively what they did, and and right. you know there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of con consternation. And by the way, I think this is actually uh, as much as I uh, you know, as much as much issue I as as I have with the GDPR. I think this is the thing that the GDPR was really intended to try to manage was was people trying to do really crazy things with data 
you know, processing it in um, novel ways that may may invade people's privacy in in kind of deep ways. So right, um, yeah, it's uh, it gets complicated in a hurry uh, yeah. when you have this much consolidated data. So you know, this is almost like another reverse supply chain risk. Yes, kind of sorta. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll have to probably start grappling with this because I think this will continue. The more we allow third parties and cloud and other stuff to integrate with our data sets, the more I think we've run risks like this, even for smaller companies, even even for the average company. You know, uh, what if you're using Salesforce or you're using some offsite payroll company and this sort of problem comes up? Right. You know, not picking on those in particular, just saying those are common services that have a lot of interesting data. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, I, more to come on that, I think, as more develops on that story. Uh, just a quick mention of it, though, since it's popping. It's topical. That's right. Much like the ointment on, on your head. Hey, yeah. It's a polishing compound. <laughs> anyway, that is the show for this evening. Thank you very much for listening. And, uh, you know, don't forget to tell your friends, you know, if you like it. If you don't, you know, just uh, delete it and move on. You can also, if you want to, you know, if you want to give us internet points, we, we really love a good rating on on iTunes and a good comment. That's, that's always fun. Uh, and with that, we will talk again next week. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.